Depending on if you want to be a part of a organization and you want to be a member of it, there usually is some kind of cost with it, right? So if you want to join the country club, there is a cost, and it's usually financial. And from what I understand, it's usually substantial in financials as well. Uh, even the ones that don't necessarily cost a lot of money, there is a cost to it. If you want to be a part of the Lions Club, usually there's a cost in service hours and, and taking up of your time to go and be a part of it. And so we have this, this idea in our heads that membership requires something of us. And usually when somebody comes up to us and says, hey, do you want to join us and be a member, my first question that pops in my head is always, what do you want? You know, what are you wanting from me? And so even if they say, oh, it's free, there's always that in the back of my mind. And so when it comes to membership within the kingdom of God, we instantly think, what does it take? What does it take to be a part of of this kingdom of God. And, and there's different opinions, and if you went to various churches, you would find they have different ideas on what it costs. For us here at Kentucky Road, we want to just stick to what the Bible has to say. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus talks about what it takes to be in the kingdom of God. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up. Uh, there's going to be a couple of different stories that we look at here. Uh, the first one is going to appear in verse 13. And Jesus, in answering this question, he's going to give us four answers, four different ideas that we need to have in our mind that we can live by so that we can be a part of this kingdom of God, this entrance into eternal life. Uh, starting in verse 13, we read that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Uh, the first thing that we see here is this. Uh, entrance into the kingdom requires childlike acceptance. Right, Jesus uh, is on his way to Jerusalem. It's near the end of his ministry. His popularity has skyrocketed to this point. And for whatever reason, uh, some people, we're assuming the parents, are bringing their ch little children to Jesus to have him bless them. And this is kind of abnormal. Like, uh, when you look at antiquity, uh, you don't see a lot of people blessing children. All right? So it's kind of weird for them to come and do this. Uh, it, it happened every once in a while, but it wasn't a normal thing. Uh, in fact, in their society, children were not highly regarded. Right? Children were to be kind of kept away, to remain silent, not to bring shame to the family. Uh, in fact, there's a, a, a letter that we have found of a guy who's writing to his wife, and he suspected that his wife has had their baby because of timing and stuff. And so he writes to her and he says, if it's a male child, let him live. And if it's a female child, cast her out. Don't take care of her. All right, so that was kind of the, the mentality of that society. 
All right? And it seems kind of weird to us, right? Because for us, children are everything. All right? we, we as a society do everything we can to protect our children. Uh, we have parents that are helicopter parents, uh, and, and we do all this thing to kind of revolve around our ch- kids. And so it's weird to us that that's not always how it's been. And so it kind of explains what the disciples are doing here, right? Not letting the little children come to Jesus. Part of it is because of Jesus' popularity. Part of it is because of the cultural expectations of the day. And so they're kind of just kind of holding the kids back from coming to Jesus. And when Jesus sees it, he gets angry. The word here for indignant really is anger. He gets mad at his disciples and he tells them two things. He says, let them come because the kingdom belongs to such as these. The second thing he says is the only way you get into the kingdom is if you accept it like a child. What does he mean? This is one of those passages that every once in a while we have this uh, idea of what Jesus means that I don't think is right. Some of us think that it means that we have to be like little kids, but and if we're honest with ourselves, the little kids are often immature. I, I don't know about you, but my kids, they're little, and they kind of whine a lot when they don't get what they want. You know, they, they, they don't always do what we ask them to do, and we have to kind of work with them to get them on the right path. Uh, I saw a meme. If you don't know what a meme is, it's just a picture. I saw a meme on Facebook the other day that said this, the heaviest objects in the universe. You got the sun, you got a neutron star, you got a black hole. If you don't know what those are, it's okay. The last one is this, the toy that you just asked your kids to pick up. The heaviest object in the world, in the universe. And you're laughing because you know it's true, right? You've all experienced it as I have experienced it. And so I don't think that Jesus is saying we need to be like children in the fact that they are immature. In fact, the book of Hebrews, we read this passage. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach to you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk. You don't need solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being a child, an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So there is an expectation in the New Testament that we don't remain as children, but we mature in our faith. And so I don't think that Jesus is saying, be like children, because children... They're immature. And that immaturity, it, it bleeds into other parts of their lives. You know, it's not, they're not destructive of our houses because they're destructive people. They're destructive because they don't understand the value that a house has. And it bleeds into everything else. You know, we as, as adults, when it comes to wanting to be a part of the kingdom, we want a checklist. What can I do to get in? And we want to know this checklist so that we can know where we stand. The problem is is that there is no checklist. 
See, we want to get into the kingdom based on our merit. We want membership into God's kingdom to be based on what we do. But children, they don't understand merit. You know, oftentimes they do what they do because they're trying to please their parent. They aren't trying to get something because they deserve it. There's some, and and there's some that do it because their parents push them in that way. But for the most part, they don't understand merits. And so here's what I think that Jesus is saying. I, I brought some candy here, and I'm glad we have a youth in this room. You don't know me, right? Yeah, I'm talking to you. You're the only one in this room. All right, watch this, guys. I want to give this to you. There you go. You want it? You don't want it? You're going to ruin this point to me. Yeah, you want to keep it, right? All right, all right. You're, no, you, you ignore the fact that he said he didn't really want it. It's candy. It's chocolate. You like chocolate? Okay. Do you want it? Okay. <laughs> there we go. That's what you're supposed to do. See, he's kind of a little old for this, but anyway, you get the point, right? So when, when we offer kids something, and we offer it to them for no other reason than I want to give it to them, usually, not, not in this case, but usually, they're like, yeah, I'll take that. But we as adults, we do what? We ask why. What's wrong with it? Why are you giving this to me? I haven't done anything. And and it's a mentality shift. And I think that what Jesus is trying to get across is that when it comes to the kingdom, when when we want to be a part of it, it's simply accepting the fact that this is God's gift to us. Entrance into the kingdom requires a childlike acceptance of taking something just because God wants to give it to us and for no other reasons than because what God wants to do. And too often we want the checklist because we want to know if we're in and we want to know if someone else is in. You know, we want the checklist so that we can tell if George is in or if he's out. And anytime we have an idea of who is in or out, it gets into a messy place. It's not our job to decide who gets to be in. It's God's. All we need to do is be humble in the fact that God wants to give this to us and be humble enough to accept it, even though we know we don't really deserve it. So Jesus tells this story to his disciples. He's having this interaction with them. And then the next story that Mark tells us is kind of how this is played out in real life. Uh, The next story, starting in verse 17, says this, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran to him, and he fell on his knees before him, and he asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commands. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. So we have this guy come up, and what Jesus wants to teach us here is this, is that entrance into the kingdom just requires simple obedience. 
Uh, this man comes up, and, and we know him as the rich young ruler. Uh, it's a story that's told in three of the four Gospels. And he comes to Jesus, and he falls on his knee in front of Jesus, and he asks a question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this question was not an abnormal question. A lot of rabbis were asked this question so that they could teach. Uh, the, the Jews, they, they kind of thought of their history in two broad scopes. And we do this every once in a while. There are events in our lives that take place that, that radically change how we think about the world. Uh, and, and, and one of those examples would be World War II, right? In the previous generation, they would talk about life before the war and life after the war because it was very different. Uh, probably for our generation, my generation at least, it will be 9-11. Life was a lot different before 9-11 than it was after. How you travel, how you thought about the world, how secure you felt, it all changed on that day. And so for the Jews, they had this... We're having all kinds of problems today. My illustration falls flat. My mic falls off. All right. So for the Jews, they had, they had these two different ideas, right? They, they, had, they divided their history in two different things. And how they said it was the present age and then the age to come. And so rather than dividing their history by some past event, they were looking towards the future. They were looking forward to when the Messiah would come and he would establish his kingdom on the earth and they would get to be entered into this eternal life. Now, it wasn't heaven that they were looking forward to. Right? They, they weren't wanting to be in heaven when this event took place because they would miss out on everything. But they were looking forward to that Messiah to come. And so what they would do is they would try to figure out what it would take so that when the Messiah comes, they would be blessed for how they lived in this present age. And so this is what this man's asking. He's asking him, Jesus, what can I do so that when the Messiah comes, when the kingdom comes, I will be blessed? And for most rabbis, they answered this in two ways. They would answer their own interpretation of the law. Okay? Everyone said that you should obey God's law. But everyone had a different idea on which laws were more important than the others. And so that's kind of what he's asking is, Jesus, which law is most important for me to follow? And then the second thing that rabbis would often do in this instance would say, hey, this is what I believe. You should come follow me. You should be a part of my group. If I'm a Pharisee, I'm going to invite you to be a Pharisee. If I'm a Sadducee, I'm going to invite you to be a Sadducee. Depending on what group I was a part of, I'd invite you in as part of this question. And so Jesus, he... He answers this question, but he first focuses back on God. He says, listen, no one is good. Only God is good. And then he simply states the social aspects of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not defraud. Do not uh, give false testimony. Honor your mother and your father. That's it. And I think it's a very poignant thing if we understand that most people would go into commentary about why you should do this or that. Jesus simply says, do what the law says to do. No more explanation than that. And I think what Jesus is trying to teach us 
is that we just simply obey what is written. See, we like to justify our actions. See, if we're doing something wrong, we like to explain why it is that what we're doing is not actually wrong. You know, we, we, can, we do all kinds of side trails to figure it out so that we can not only prove to ourselves that we're doing okay, but we can convince you as well. That's not what Jesus does. He says, just do it. You go to the grocery store and they gave you back $10 instead of $1. That's a mistake on their part. What do you do? You keep it? No. That's not being honest. And we might justify, well, it's their fault. They should have looked at what they were giving me. And that is what we tend to do. But it's still wrong. Still stealing. We lie. We don't tell the full truth because we know that the truth hurts people. And so we try to justify why we're not going to tell everything and that why we'll kind of smidge this one detail right here. And too often, I think we try to justify for ourselves more than anything else. But if we want to be a part of the kingdom, it means that we simply obey what God has said. And we don't try to justify, well, that was 2,000 years ago. It doesn't apply to today. That's not how it works. What God said, He said for all time, for all people, for all places. Are we willing to simply obey to be a part of this kingdom of God? Well, the rich young ruler, he doesn't really like what Jesus has to say. In verse 20, he says, Teacher, uh, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him, and he loved him, and he said to him, One thing you lack, go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Uh, this man, for whatever reason, he, he still felt like something was missing in his life. Uh, he says, what else is there? You know, I've been faithful. And, and we look at that and we kind of think that's kind of arrogant of him, that he thinks that he's been good uh, and, and, and blameless before the sight of the law. But this was kind of their mentality that as far as he knows, he has not willfully broken anything. And so he's not necessarily claiming that he's perfect, but he's saying, I haven't broken this on purpose. I've kept them. I've watched over myself. And I've not done what is wrong. And Jesus, seeing this man, seeing his honest search for truth, this is probably not the first person this man has gone to. He is seeking out Jesus. And it's, we're told that Jesus, when he looks at this man, he loves him. And that's really significant because it's the only place in the entirety of the Gospels that we're told that Jesus loved somebody. Jesus cared about him. He tells them, sell everything. Give to the poor. And then you'll have what you want. And then come and follow me. This idea of following me, that's, that's an invitation to be the 13th disciple. Come follow. 
Jesus gives this man a command to sell everything that he has. And, and it's important for us to distinguish two types of commands in the Bible. The commands that are repeated over and often enough, they're meant for everyone, everywhere, at all times. And then there are commands given to certain people in certain situations. This is one of those. So I don't think that Jesus is telling us that we need to go sell everything that we have. But he's telling this man he needs to. And, and, and this is very abnormal because the rabbis, while they taught that it was important for people to give to the poor, they also taught don't give everything to the poor because you will be poor yourself. Logical. But Jesus says, no, you need to give everything. And I think the reason why he needs to give everything is because this man relied too heavily upon his money. See, money isn't evil in and of itself. It's okay to have money. But when you have a love for money, when you have greed, when you do things with your money that is evil, when you rely on your money for security, that is when it is wrong. And maybe for you, it's not money that you rely upon. Maybe it's something else. Maybe when you go home, you go to this, this one place, this one area of your life where you find security and comfort and whatever it looks like for you. And when you rely on something as, like money more important than you rely on God, that's when there's a problem. What I think Jesus is trying to teach this man right here in this moment is this. You need to have complete reliance on God to enter the kingdom. We can't rely on our own accolades. We can't rely on our own merits. We can't rely on the things that give us security in life. The only thing we can rely upon to be a part of the kingdom is God. And if something is in our way of that, we have to get rid of it. And so for you, if money is the thing that you rely upon more than God, maybe you need to get rid of it. Give everything you have and follow Jesus. Obeying God begins by being a disciple of Jesus. And it means relying on Him for your comforts, for your needs, and to get you through the next day. But it can be hard because we want to have control. And especially when it comes to salvation, we want to have control of whether we're in or not. And it's hard sometimes to rely on Jesus to see us through. Well, the man, well, he walks away sad and Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to his disciples one last time. He says this starting in verse 23. He looks at his disciples and he says, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples who were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The story ends with Jesus saying a couple of things to his disciples that astonishes them, that leaves them in amazement. The first is this, how hard is it for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? And this stuns them for 
a very important reason, because in the ancient world, both in Judaism and outside of the Jewish religion, the idea that if you were rich, it was only because you were blessed by God was prevalence. The more money you had, the closer you were to God. And in a world that was seeking to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the more money you had, the more people thought we need to follow your example. Yeah, Jesus shatters that. How hard it is for the rich to enter. And when we look at the Old Testament, we can kind of see why they thought this, okay? Uh, We have the story of Job, right? Job is this rich man who, through one tragedy after another, loses everything. And when his friends come to comfort him, the first thing that's said to him is this. You should repent, Job. You need to repent of the sin in your life. And Job is like, I've not sinned. And we get the preview of looking at the story of Job from the eyes of God where it's not because of Job's sin that he's punished, but rather a testing by Satan. But in the end, because Job is faithful, God restores everything and doubles it. And so we have this idea that God blesses with people materially if they are faithful to him. But we also see throughout the Old Testament where people who are faithful to God more than anyone else still are not blessed with money. Men like Elijah and Elisha, who are one of the few people that remain faithful to God in the northern tribe of Israel. And yet they had to rely on people and on ravens and on other things for their sustenance. So God, while sometimes you are blessed monetarily because of your faithfulness to God, it's not always the case. And poor people can be just as faithful as rich people. And yet, Jesus says it's hard for them to enter the kingdom. The second thing that he says is he he ups the ante, right? He says not only is it hard for rich people to enter the kingdom, it's hard for anyone to enter the kingdom. In fact, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And there's been some speculation on trying to temper what Jesus says here by saying there was a gate in in Jerusalem called the Needle Gate, and it was very narrow, and a camel could fit through, but it was very difficult. The problem is is that there's no, no such gate that we know of. So Jesus is talking about a needle. He's talking about a camel. And the disciples get it right when they say, who then can be saved? And the answer is no one. There is nothing we can do that can get us into heaven. There is not enough money we can give to the poor that will get us there. There's no matter how good of a person you are, you will fall short because we have all sinned. But there is hope. Because while we were sinners, God demonstrated His own love for us by sending Jesus. God demonstrates His own love for us by sending Jesus to the cross to die the death that we deserve. And Jesus says it here that it is impossible with men to be saved, but with God, all things are possible. Salvation 
is given to us. It is not earned. And while we try to figure it out, while we try to have a checklist of things to follow, while we want to do various things over and over again, the reality is there is no checklist because we will fail every time. If we created some super checklist, we would never fulfill it. The only thing that we can do is accept the gift that God has given us like a child. The only thing that we can do is simply obey what God has called us to do. The only thing we can do is completely rely upon God. The only thing that we can do is submit to God's will. To fully give ourselves to Him and the salvation that He wants to give us. And it's hard because we want to have control over whether or not we're in or we're out. But we need to stop trying to have control and simply trust that Jesus is going to take care of it and to rely on Him and to surrender to Him in our lives. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the salvation that we see in Jesus. We're grateful that, that He has offered this to us. And we're grateful that we don't have to earn it, but rather it's given to us. And Lord, let us have the childlike faith to accept it. Let us not ask what can we do to get in or to deserve it or to inherit it, but ask what we can do to receive it. Thank you that though it was impossible with us because of our sins, that you made it possible because of the Christ event. Thank you for Jesus who gives us salvation. It's his name we pray. Amen.